done. So uh, I would encourage you, I'm going to not really pick up, but I'm going to kind of continue along the lines of some things I was sharing a little bit with you last week, but also uh, kind of in preparation for Easter. But if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get on the website, uh, get on the podcast and listen to the message because um, I shared with you, uh, you know, uh, really about the church that I see. And it's really uh, what I see in my heart for our church moving forward. And, uh, you know, because, um, you know, Darren and I have now been here for about three and a half years, and right at three and a half years now. And, uh, and I believe that we're in a shift as a church, uh, you know, and, and I won't go into a lot of detail. I did last week, and so you can go and listen to that, though, um, because it's not just so much in the years past I've done a vision Sunday where I shared some vision about where we were moving, but I also shared with you a lot more in the past. Well, last week I shared a lot more about where we're headed. And what I believe the Lord is leading us into as a church. And so, um, you know, and so uh, I, I believe that we are, uh, we, as you just saw, we're adding families. We've been adding families. And you, you look around, you're like, well, there's a lot of seats. Well, it's spring break and there's a lot of people missing too. And, uh, you know, I mean, every Sunday I can count. Like I can sit in the parking lot and tell you 15, 20 people that aren't at a given service. Now, some of those people are at work. Some of those people are out of town. I mean, a lot of times I know where people are. Um, but I can tell you this, if everybody shows up, we don't just not have enough seats in the sanctuary. We don't have enough seats in the overflow room. So it's a good problem to have, which is what I shared last week. It's still a problem, but it's a good problem to have. And, uh, you know, and so there are some, uh, some things that we're looking at and looking into and trying to move towards and, you know, but even more importantly than the space that we need. Now, I said this last week and I'll say it again, I'm not about to build a building. We are looking into to some renovations, doing some things. Praise the Lord. We have no bills. We have no debt. We have bills like everybody else. I mean, cause lights ain't free. You know, they don't give us power for free cause we're a church. We still get a bill and, uh, you know, but we don't have any debt. Uh, the church is paid for and everything, which is a tremendous, uh, blessing. And so, um, but there are some things that we need to do to create some space and to create some, some community space. Cause if you realize out there in the foyer, it's a little tight. And, uh, so, uh, when you come in and trying to leave, but more importantly than the physical buildings, um, and the, the property and all these types of things is more the heart that we need for this new season that we're stepping into. And, uh, you know, and so, and it matters. Why? Because if it's just like anything else in life, if your heart is right, God can work. If your heart's not right, God will stop working for you. I mean, it's no different than giving. If you sow with a wrong motive, it's not guaranteed that God's going to bless that. Why? Because it was with a wrong motive. Motive matters greatly. And, uh, you know, and so I want to share with you some this morning. And like I said, this is a good pastoral message. But since it's Easter in a couple of weeks, and I wasn't supposed to be preaching this weekend anyways, because uh, Brother Paul was originally supposed to be here this weekend. But, uh, you know, as I was praying about some things and just really, um, this began to stir up in my heart, uh, really just about uh, really this new season and this next phase, if you will, of our church. And, um, you know, there was a very prominent uh, minister, if I said his name, many of you would know him, but he, now he was saying this specifically about um, ministers, but I also believe that the same principle is true with churches. He says that many ministers live and die and never get outside of their first phase of ministry. In other words, they, they had stepped into what God had for them, but they never moved beyond that initial step. Well, I believe that's also true for churches, is that many churches can live and die 
and never move beyond just that initial uh, place that God had for them to grow into is that God always has more. God is a God of addition and multiplication, not, not subtraction. You know, and, and so um, healthy things grow. I'm just convinced of that. Um, you know, but there are some things that I want to share with you this morning along this line that I believe is important for us because whether you realize it or not, many of you are the foundation of the church, not me. I may be a piece of that foundation, but I'm not the foundation. I'm a part of it. You're a part of that foundation. You're a part of the fabric that makes up our church. And so, you know, but there are some things that I believe that we have to uh, really look at our own heart and make sure that we're ready. You know, I mean, like I said a moment ago, you know, I've got a new baby girl at the house. Well, we made preparations to receive her. Right? I mean, I, I wasn't surprised when I went and picked up Darren. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a new girl. <laughs> like, wait a second, what happened? Like, April Fools, this is not a good joke. Like, we knew she was coming. We made preparations, you know, we made, uh, we got some things out of the attic because they were stuff for babies and my son's a toddler and so we didn't need certain things anymore, although I will say that Max is enjoying the little baby swing because it's like a baby recliner, well, it's a toddler recliner at this point. He was kicked back in at rocking himself yesterday, which is kind of funny because he didn't like it as a baby, and, uh, but anyhow, but we have to make preparations, uh, not just in the physical we can make all the physical preparations and it all be for no, our heart's not right. And, uh, and so really it's our, um, you know, our kind of our mentality and our approach. And so somebody asked me a, a question a few weeks ago, and it, so I'm going to start off with it and, uh, because it's a very valid question. And I believe that it's not just one for, that was asked of me, but I believe that it's one that's being asked of our church. Um, and so here was the question. Are we ready to receive those that God leads into our doors? Are we ready to receive those that God would lead into our doors? Now, we can all say, sure, oh yeah, absolutely, we love everybody. Until that person doesn't fit what you determine to be a church person. Or, let me say it this way, until that person doesn't fit a North Pointer perspective. See, I mean, you know, and here's the thing, and I've shared this before, is that, you know, there's a, it's a statement, I forgot where I first heard it, but it's like, when you learn to talk like us, dress like us, you know, all that, you're going to fit in just fine around here. Well, yeah, that's because you're making carbon copies. You're not dealing with people. And God is a unique God who makes unique people, who designs them a unique way. And we shouldn't try to shape people into our mold. We should find out what God has created everyone to be and encourage them to find out their uniqueness and flourish in that. And yet many times we want to push people into a mold, right? Why? Because that's predictable. And predictable is kind of nice for the most part. But predictable is boring too. And God is not a boring God. And so, you know, we have to, and so I'm going to say this another way, and I'll explain and elaborate on it a little bit, is that we have to be extremely mindful that we never allow prejudice against anyone that would step in our door. Now, you know, sometimes people don't, they, they equate, and I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to really 
get into this too much. Um, many times people hear the word prejudice and they immediately think about racial terms. And it's really not. Racism is something totally different than prejudice. Racism is, is I judge you based off the color of your skin. That's it. Prejudice simply means this. It means to prejudge. It means I look at you and I immediately do what? I fit you into a category immediately without talking to you. You dress a certain way. You look a certain way. You have tattoos and I don't. So therefore, you know, you have a tattoo. Are you a biker? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you must have leather somewhere and you must like, you know, you know, I mean, you just, we make these assumptions. We see somebody who dresses differently than we do and we make judgments or we make it this way. We see somebody and we say, I could never relate to that person. Now, this can go one of two ways. It can be someone who maybe doesn't have means like you do. And you say, oh, well, now you would never say this because I know, but it doesn't mean that the thought or the attitude is not there, is that I'm better than that. That's prejudice. But there's also another side of that same equation, which is you see somebody that has something that you don't, and you judge them and say, they want nothing to do with me. And they are equal. They are. And if we're not careful, we will take people who are just different than us. Whether they be from a different part of town, whether they be from out of town, whether they be whatever it may be. It may be social. It may be economic. It may be upbringing. And we will immediately what? Distance ourselves because of difference. Difference is actually intended to be celebrated. You might want to get used to it because it's going to be all over heaven. Every tribe, every nation, every language will what? Will lift in a moment, in unison, in one voice to glorify the name of Jesus. So we have to deal with these things in our own life. And we have to be careful that we don't write people off. Now this is something pretty dear to me because a lot of people wrote me off. Because I was a punk church kid. And so I won't go into the details. But, and, and they were right, by the way. For a long time, they were right. But the problem was, is when God really got a hold of my heart, their perception never changed. And so we, and especially when we have known people, you know, some of you think immediately like, oh, you're talking about people that I don't know. I might be talking about the very people you grew up with that you know too well. That you need to make an allowance for what? The grace of God to actually believe that they may have actually changed. Because what? We can make assumptions on people and allow their past to now in our minds determine who they are today. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you would say that you are drastically different by the grace of God? Okay, well, why can't they then? In a moment. In a moment. Now, this does apply to people that we don't know. People that will come in, yes. But what about when it's your cousin?
What about when it's your family member, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your child? Would you want them to be accepted when they said, I'll give church one more shot? Would you want them accepted and to be loved, not to be judged? Well, of course. Well, everybody who walks in the door is somebody's mom, somebody's dad, somebody's child, somebody's cousin. I mean, we have a responsibility as the church to be all-inclusive. It doesn't mean that we just, you know, it doesn't mean that just because somebody walks in the front doors, hey, you want to watch our babies? No. I, I don't know you. <laughs> We're going to run a background check on you. <laughs> We're going to know some details about you before you start touching our kids. That's wisdom. We spent three weeks talking about good, foolish, and evil people. You love everybody, you don't trust them the same. Well, we love everybody. We will welcome everybody. I don't care if they're tattooed up to their eyeballs. If God doesn't like them, he'll wipe them off where they get into heaven. Okay? That's between them and Jesus. That's, that's, now, I'll just tell you, I'm somebody that doesn't have tattoos. Personally. Here's why, though. I actually have a reason, because trust me, I've done a lot of hanging out in tattoos, and I've got friends who are tattooed up. Because I'm a minister of the gospel. Here's why it matters, though. Some people would never listen to me if I had a tattoo. Do I believe God cares? Not at all. If it was up to me, I would have some. I know what I would have. I, you know, I mean, I can tell you. I, but I've never done it. Why? Because I just know that there are some people that would prejudge me and therefore I would lose the ability to have any influence. Therefore, I say that the kingdom is more important than my preference. That's it. Now, that's between me and Jesus, but I'm just telling you that as an example. So, but what if somebody walks in here that talks differently? Now, I don't mean, I'll say it this way. They speak a different form of English than you do. Maybe it's slang, maybe it's this or that. Maybe they dress differently. They listen to different music, whatever it may be. See, if we're not careful, we'll just say, well, they don't worship like me. Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, God created us as unique. I'm more concerned about the heart than I am about the outward appearance of people. I'm more concerned about what is God doing in people's hearts. And we have to be careful not to prejudge people, to make an assessment and to put people into categories. I mean, I don't know for many of us, it's been a long time since we've walked into the doors of a new church. You don't know anybody. It's really awkward. It's very awkward. And yet, we can put people at ease just by being welcoming. And look, and we are a very welcoming church. I will tell you that. We get complimented on that all the time. People say, man, this is one of the friendliest churches. Praise the Lord. I never want that to change. It ought to be. And, um, you know, but... Uh, you know, but we have to be mindful of these things. And so I want to share this here. It's a quote from uh, Billy Graham, uh, who recently just went home to be with the Lord. But I love this statement. He says that God has not called me to judge people. He's called me to love people. God has not called me to judge people. He's called me to love people. And so we have to have an understanding that the gospel is all inclusive. It's for everyone without exception. 
It's a famous quote, but, it's, you know, but I believe this is true, is that you can come as you are, but you just can't stay that way. I like another version of that a little bit, is that it's okay to not be okay, it's just not okay to stay that way. God doesn't ask us to get all of our stuff together so that he can work. He says, come, because you ain't got your stuff together and you can't help yourself, but I will help you. Because, you know, and the thing is, is that everybody is somewhere in a journey with God. Now, it may not look like it to you, but that's, it may not look at, like it to me. But you know what? I'm not God and you're not God. The Bible says is that man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. God is relentless in his pursuit of people. He never quits. He never stops. He never gives up. And I'm glad because he never gave up on me. You know, and so I should, and we should have that same heart. And so, you know, we have to keep in mind is that every person has a need for redemption. Everybody knows they're broken. Whether they want to admit it or not, they know something's wrong. They may not even know how to put it into words. It's called sin. It's separation from God. And the only way to find true redemption is through Jesus. And every person, regardless of how bad they may be or how good they may be it's not enough somebody could be the sweetest kindest person you ever met but without jesus the bible says their righteousness is absolutely worthless all of their goodness means nothing and so every person is in need of redemption the word redemption simply means the price that had to be paid for right standing That's what Christ came to do. And so I believe that we have to kind of evaluate our own hearts in this way. And we have to really ask ourselves the question. Do we see people how God sees them? Or do we see people as problems? Do we see people the way God sees them? Or do we see them as problems? Because I can tell you how God sees them. James chapter 5 verse 7, he says that God calls them the precious fruit of the earth. He calls them precious and lovable. And it's actually in context, it's talking about the return of Christ. And he says that God is waiting for Christ to come back for the precious fruit of the earth to come forth. What is the precious fruit of the earth? It's humans. It's people. I mean, the Bible tells us another place. It says, look, don't think that God is slack concerning his promises, but he is what? Giving time for more to repent. For more to what? Come to the knowledge of him. And and so we have to really, uh, really kind of look at our own hearts and ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see people the way that he does. It doesn't come naturally. It just doesn't. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, it can happen. You know, and so I want to read you just a few verses here out of Matthew chapter 22. As we get kind of into more of the scripture sides of this, if you will. But Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. I'm going to read this out of the message translation. And they asked Jesus and he says, teacher... What command is in God's law is the most important? Verse 37 says, um, 
Jesus responds and says, Love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayer and intelligence. He says, This is the most important and the first on any list. Verse 39 says, But there's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. He says, These two commands are pegs, and everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. See, what what this is actually saying is that when Jesus came and established the new covenant, the new testament, we have the old testament, the old covenant. Jesus is saying, if you'll fulfill these two, the ten commandments of the old testament are actually fulfilled. Why? Because you can't love somebody and yet be envious of them. You can't covet their stuff and really love them. Because if you really love them, you'll be happy for them. Right? I mean, and so if you can do these two things, you'll fulfill the Old Testament law. And so we have to understand, and so you can say it this way, is that Jesus boiled it down and said, look, the two most important things are love God and love people. That's our call. It's the two most important things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Well, I don't know what God's called me to do. Love God and love people. Until you get more specifics, that's it. It's to, to be in communion, communion with God, have a relationship with him, but also to love people. You know, sometimes I believe that, especially in our culture, is that many times, especially in the walls of the church, is that we can speak life into people. We can speak destiny into people that cannot see it in themselves. In other words, we believe the best and we see their potential and we need to speak it. Why? Because they can't see it. And yet just through an encouraging word, just through a relationship, a little note, it can be so strengthening to somebody else. That's why the Bible talks about, Paul says, he said, man, I wish that you would all prophesy. Well, what is that? It means to edify, to encourage, to build up. I have a note in the back of my iPad that I've had with me for six or seven years, and it's a a note from a lady because it used to freak me out to have to preach on Sunday mornings. I wouldn't sleep. I mean, really, I could not sleep. I'd be just nervous about it. And one lady gave me a note, and I keep it with me all the time. And it was just a little encouragement. Amen. I can give you the gist of it. She's, it was, David is well able to Amen. preach the word of God. Amen. She didn't know it was that important. It was big to me. Yeah. It was big to me. As a matter of fact, the next time that I, that I was to preach on Sunday morning, she came up to me for church. She said, how did you sleep last night? I said, great. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Amen. And that little... A little note made a big difference. I mean, she didn't come and say, you know, thus says the Lord, you know. It was just, hey, I got a note for you. Had no idea. Opened it up and it was like, man, look at there. No, but that's part of loving people. Really being mindful of other people. Now, Jesus talks over here or makes a statement uh, over in Matthew chapter 23. I'm just going to read one verse. Just for the sake of time. But <coughs> Jesus makes a statement here. And he says. The greatest among you. In, in verse 11 of chapter 23 of Matthew. He says. The greatest among you. Must be a servant. 
Now, we have to understand what he's talking about here, but we are called to serve other people. Because we can say we love people. What does that mean? I can tell you this. I can tell my wife that I love her, but I show my wife that I love her by serving her. I mean, you know, and it's little things. It's not always big things. But at some point, your love's got to get some action to it. Well, what is that? First and foremost, it's servant. I'm not, you know, as, as, if you want to say it this way, as pastor, my first responsibility is to serve the church. Well, how do I serve the church? I serve you. You know, I mean, how good would it be for you if, if you're like, oh, you're my pastor. I'm like, man, I love y'all. I love y'all. I love you. And you're like, are you ever going to teach us the word? Like, are you ever going to study and like help us grow? Isn't that like part? No, I just love you. You're awesome. Let's just get, I'm just going to tell you how wonderful you are all the time. And just, just, man, I love you. And it's like, okay, I'm tired of hearing you tell me that you love me. Why don't you help me? Right? Well, that's serving. And yet Christ says, if you want to be great, you got to serve. In other words, you have to put other people ahead of you. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom. If you don't know that, you have been called to live in freedom. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let me put this in very real modern context for us. If God has worked in your heart, you now have responsibility to serve other people. Because of what God and through Christ has done in your heart, you now, I now have a responsibility to serve out of my freedom to help other people who aren't. Serve one another. He goes on in verse 14, says, For the whole law can be summed up in one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, we won't read it for the sake of time, but it, it says that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was God, thought it not robbery, but took on the, the, the role or the position of a slave, is the way one translation says it, but it says servant. In other words, Jesus made the decision to step off of his throne, which was rightfully his, He took off his crown and set it aside, took off his robe, laid it aside. What? So that he could come and be born in human form just like we are as a servant. See, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he didn't do. That's the good thing about Jesus. He only asked us to do what he did. And not in our own strength, our own abilities, but through his ability. So one of the things that we have to come to grips with and come to terms with, and I believe that this is actual spiritual maturity. This is how I mark what real spiritual maturity is. It's not about your knowledge. Because knowledge can puff up. Knowledge can become proud. Not against knowledge. We, We need to understand Scripture. We need to be taught the word of God. There's a a very important place in that. I don't care how extravagant your worship may be. 
it doesn't make you spiritually mature. It just doesn't. It might make you expressive, which our praise and worship team thanks you. I can tell you. You're like, yay, somebody enjoys it. It's awesome. Because we put a lot of work into this. But guess what? That's part of how they serve too. But this is the mark of what I believe true spiritual maturity is. Is that my church does not exist for me. I exist for it. Why? Because now I'm no longer looking to a person to fix my problems. I understand that Christ will fix my problems when I turn to him. It's not saying that the church isn't here to minister to you. And I'll show you this here in a few minutes. It's not at all what I'm saying. But the problem is is that in in our society, we have created a church culture that says, I'm going to go to church so I can get my problems fixed. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, necessarily. But you aren't meant to live there. That's infancy in Christ. Maturity says, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to grow. But as I'm growing, I'm going to begin to sow back into what has meant something to me. So the church does not exist for me. It does not exist for you. We exist to serve God's vision. We exist to serve God's vision. What is God's vision? Let me say it another way. We exist to serve God's dream. You realize God has a dream. He does. And we get to participate in it. And it's the expansion of his kingdom. Now I understand that's real churchy in terms. Like what's a kingdom? I can't drive a kingdom. Like right? Give me the keys to the kingdom. Great. Where are we going? I don't know that I can drive that. Well, the kingdom of God is what? It's within. And so if we're going to <coughs> expand the kingdom of God, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to touch more people. That's, that's, there is no other answer. But if we, have, if we are focused on us, we cannot be focused on other people. The, the Christian life is this. It's repeated death to self. I mean, Paul talked about this. He says, I must die daily. What's he talking about? To myself. It's not like I have this, and it's just of my desires, my wants, my need to be put forward. You know, and so if we're not careful though, because, and I say this because I was in this trap for a long time. If I can just get to church and get in one more prayer line. If I can just get one more person to lay hands on me. Well, here was the thing. What I was doing and the way I lived for a long time was simply this. I want you to be spiritual and I'm going to live off of your spirituality. As opposed to maturing in God and really learning how to press in and receive from the Lord, receive from the Holy Spirit as I need it. Now, I'm not saying that, that there aren't still times that I call on people and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I had a moment about three weeks ago. Just in all transparency. Many of you know Dustin Martin. I texted him. I said, hey man, I need you to pray for me. I don't know what's going on. I woke up today and today is terrible. Having to be on a Wednesday night. And I come to church that night. Praise the Lord. 
So I'm not telling you anything that I don't deal with. I'm just honest, honest enough to tell you. So there, we all need people. That is another reason why it's important to be a part of a body. But we can't make church the end-all, be-all. Why? Because if that's what we make it, it becomes solely about us and receiving our needs. And just, I'm here for me, I'm here for me, I'm here for me. Well, as long as you're here for you, you ain't here for anybody else. And what you're missing out on is the opportunity and the, really the potential of God using you in a great way. You know, and so we have to, to, to understand this. And so we are here to serve, not be served. We are. That's what, I mean, Jesus came for that very reason. He says it in, in Matthew chapter 20. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over uh, those under them. He says, but among you, it should be different. It should be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to lay his life down for many. We are also called to lay down our life. Maybe not in the physical sense, but I am called to what? Lay down, and and let me say it this way. I am called to make sacrifices for other people. You are called to make sacrifices, whether it be for preference. I'll give you a funny example of this. How upset would you be if somebody sat in your seat? I don't know if you've noticed, but there are no names on any chairs. I don't even have a parking spot that says pastor's parking. I will never have one. Just not going to. I can walk like anybody else. Why? Because it doesn't matter. I mean, it just doesn't matter. We are all called to serve. We are all called to lay aside our preferences, our desires, always putting ourselves first. And and please hear me. This does not mean that we get the short end of the stick. It's a maturity question and a growing with God question. Our needs will still get met. I will show you this in a few moments. See, one of the attitudes that we have to be careful of to not allow to come in is that this is our fort and I'm going to defend it. You know, I'm dealing with that with my two-and-a-half-year-old son right now. Why? Because everything is what? Mine. 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 You know, I mean, like, I went and got, because we've had, you know, a couple car seats or whatever, one in my car, one in Derek's car. And so, you know, we bring Bella in Max's little, like, infant car seat. And he's like, my seat. And I'm like, you can't even fit in that thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't want to fit in that thing. I've tried. Like stuffing him in there, you know. <laughs> you know, and all these things are coming back out. And he's like, mine, mine. No, not yours. Not yours. You know. And, but we can become like that. Well, this is my seat. This is my parking spot. This is my position. This is what I do. Are we serving? See, what happens in... in, in Many times, 
is that we can become identified with what we do as opposed to why we do it. And that's when we get real protective. Like, this is my little thing, my little bubble, this is the way I want it. Why? Because we've now become identified by the outward as opposed to really understanding it doesn't really, look, and I can say this with all sincerity because I've done it many times. It doesn't matter if I stand in the pulpit or if I scrub the toilets. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. Why? Because I believe in the church. Not just in our church, I mean in any church. I've served churches that had terrible pastors. And I still served. Why? Because I still realize that people were walking in the door who were hurting, who were looking for answers. And so I serve the church, not the person. You know, and so there's things along this line that we have to be mindful of. We're here to really to show forth the love and the grace of God. That's the reason we're here. It's the reason we open our doors. So I've been putting you, I've been telling you this all along. So let me just give you your answer. Because I, even as I was preparing this, I could hear this. Yeah, but pastor, but. Yeah, pastor, but. What about me? When do I get my needs met? Doesn't God love me too? Of course he does. Will God work in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It will always be yes. But just like, I mean, you know, today we have an infinite home. She doesn't really get to tell us what she wants to eat. Here you go. It's inconvenient. We had four seats. My son is now old enough to say, I don't want to eat that. I want this. Yesterday it was a banana. He hasn't eaten a banana in a little while. And I'm like, are you really going to eat it? Because I'm thinking I'm going to throw this banana away. He's like, banana, banana, banana. I'm like, I thought he was asking for my mom. And I realized he's pointing at bananas. And I'm like, there, is he going to eat this? She's like, I doubt it. I'm like, you going to eat this? And he's like, I get it down, open it, give it to him. He started eating it. He's old enough to tell me what he wants to eat. It's great. I look forward to the day when he can get the stupid banana himself, right? You know? <laughs> That'll be a breakthrough day. Praise the Lord. <laughs> then we'll really be somewhere, but we're making progress, you know. Like, leave me alone, son. But we are to make progress. We're to grow. I mean, that's part of really our goal. We want to get people connected. We want to see people grow so that they can become kingdom builders. Right? I mean, that's, that's God's plan, I believe, for every person. But we need to be connected to people. Many times I believe we want to say church services for ministry. Well, that's what God's created Christian relationship for too. I mean, you know, and I'm not against church ministry. It's not at all. I believe in it wholeheartedly. But it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not the, because we want the one-stop shop. I want to come in broken and leave whole in my hour of service. Why don't you come preach one week and then tell me how that worked for you? Because it's just not realistic. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, and I still got issues. So, And guess what? So do you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm glad that he is full of loving kindness. He's long-suffering. 
So what about my needs? Pastor, I hear you talking about other people and having our heart right towards them and ministering to them and giving them my parking spot and giving them my chair and giving up my seat when there's not room. And what about me? And this is what I would share with you. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It comes out of Proverbs chapter 11. There's two verses. Verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Verse 25 says, The generous mindset will prosper. Generous is more than money. It is a mindset. Here's the last part, and this is the part I really want you to catch. He says, Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Let me say it another way. Those who serve others will themselves be served. Now, I've actually studied this out. And it, another translation says it this way. Those who minister to others will themselves be ministered to. That's the actual literal translation of that verse. See, there comes a point where even as we become and we grow, that we have to make a decision that I'm going to start giving out of what I have. And as I give out of what I have, God will begin to pour more back into my life. Now, I could give you accounts and account, multiple accounts of this throughout Scripture. But I'll give you one example. There was a little boy with a sack lunch that Jesus took. A couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. That boy went home with baskets. I'm convinced of it. Why? Because you cannot sow that you will not reap. And 5,000 people got fed in the process, by the way. But what do you think it communicated to that little boy? God is not a taker. God is a giver. Well, the same thing is true for you. Same thing is true for me. When I serve other people, I don't get shortchanged. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way, that when I serve other people, I'm the one who gets the greatest reward. I'm the one who gets blessed the most. Why? Because I'm the most like Jesus. I'm laying down my life. I'm sacrificing my life on the behalf and for the sake of other people. And so even as we are moving forward and really, I believe, shifting into a new season as a church... I believe we have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready to receive anybody that God sends? Are we going to put up walls? Are we going to try to control? Try to make sure that this thing looks the way that we want it to. I've heard people make these statements before, and it, not in an angry way, but it always has bothered me when I've heard people say it, is that this just doesn't look like my church anymore. I'm not saying it. I've never heard anybody say it here. I'm saying it in other places. It's always bothered me. Because this is what I want to say. And because no one said it, I'll actually tell you my response. <laughs> is The truth is that the church changed and you didn't. That's why the church doesn't look like you anymore. And you've missed out on the opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. Because it's funny, I've never seen anybody make that statement when a church was dying. Never. 
It's always when a church is growing and, and lives are being touched and lives are being changed. And there's a lot of good things, but the enemy comes in and it's like, well, this just isn't the place for me. This just doesn't look like my kind of people anymore. I'm not saying you have to change. I mean, Matt rips me all the time for my jeans and my shoes and my clothes. And, but you know what? I love Matt. And you know what? Matt loves me. And it doesn't matter if I wear my little pointy shoes or whatever it may be. Why? Because this is what I know. I love Jesus and so does he. I'm committed to this church and so is he. And we can have, you know, back and forth. But at the end of the day, I love that guy. And we're in this thing together. So it doesn't matter our backstories. It doesn't matter how we got here. The fact is, is that we're family. We're a part of each other's story at this point. And so, and that's true for all of us. I mean, y'all ripped me for being an LSU fan. I just consider it part of the persecution I'm called to, but praise the Lord. You know, I mean, it's just part of it. But, you know, but we have to... I mean, we've got to be able to move beyond that this is the way it is. And I'm not saying that we've been stuck. That's not what I'm saying. But if you think things have changed, you haven't seen anything yet. And I, I, don't, I don't mean that from a, a wrong place. That's not. Look, we're always going to preach the word of God. We are always going to be passionate about worship. We are always going to be passionate about prayer. The core values will not change. But people might change. Things may change. Circumstances might change. But look, I want to be effective for the kingdom of God. I do. I want us to be effective for the kingdom of God. I want to see us actually influence the region that God has us in. I'm not satisfied to change our block. Or to change this. Or I want to see God do something where it's like, oh my gosh. I had some plans, but this is way beyond that. And we all get to be a part of that. It's not just a select few that are apartment. It's us as a whole. But we have to be ready to receive those that God would send to us. And that starts in our own heart. And that may be saying, Lord, I, I want you to, to help me to see. Now I'll make a statement and we're going to do something that we've done before, but it's been a little while, so I thought it was fitting to do it this morning. But... You know, every, you know, like on Easter, we'll count. We get a count every week. I know how many people are here. I know how many people are in every one of our rooms. I get a count every week. So that I know. Why? Because I believe we ought to plan. We're hitting some capacities in multiple areas right now. But those numbers matter. Not because I'm a numbers guy, although I am. But numbers matter because every number has a name. Every name represents a soul. Every soul represents a story. Every person has a story. How they got here, how they came here, whatever. They they have a story. But with every story is how we build the kingdom of God. It's by the change of a story. I was, but God. I was here, but God. I was hopeless, but God. That's how we build the kingdom of God. One story at a time. 
One change, one heart, one life change at a time, one family change at a time. That's how we build the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do before we wrap up this morning, some of you this will be fairly familiar to, but we have something around here that I call the love confession. We haven't done it in a little while, and I thought, this is a good morning. So what it is, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And I've had this, I actually taped it on my computer monitor many years ago because the Lord started dealing with me about my love walk, how I dealt with other people. And so, you know, in the Bible, and it's out of the Amplified Bible, but what I did was I took the scriptures and I changed everywhere it said love and I put the word I. Like I am patient and I am kind. It's easy to say love is patient, love is kind. Love, you know. When you start saying I am patient, eh, not so much. <laughs> not so much. So... What we're going to do is we're going to put this up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to say it with me. I don't know. We may have some copies. We used to have some around here with some little printouts because people were taking them, and they were sending me pictures from their office computers where they had taped them on their office computer. And, uh, but I believe that it's important, and if you would like one of those, we can get one. I don't know where they are, but we'll get you one. But I'm going to ask you to say it with me, and then um, we'll conclude service. So you can go ahead and put the first part up. So this is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 out of the Amplified. So... Let's in. I endure long and am patient and kind. I'm never envious nor boil over with jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious. I do not display myself haughtily. I am not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. I'm not rude, unmannerly, and do not act unbecomingly. I, God's love in me, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for I am not self-seeking. I am not touchy or fretful or resentful. I take no account of the evil done to me. I pay no attention to a suffered wrong. I do not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoice when right and truth prevail. Because of God's love in me, I bear up under anything and everything that comes. I am ever ready to believe the best of every person. My hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and I endure everything without weakening. My love never fails, fades out, or comes obsolete, comes to an end. I know that's a mouthful. I realize it. But if you'll start saying that, It will change how you view people. I'm not touchy or fretful. I tell you it will change you because it changed me. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not out for myself. It's not me. It's God's love in me. It's not you. It's God's love in you. It's, you know, I mean, the Bible says that the love of God has been what? Really activated in your heart. Okay, well, now we've got to start walking in the light and the wisdom of that. And so, as I said, if you would like a copy of that, I'm sure we've got some around here somewhere. We can get you a copy.